You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. We believe that the Bible is God's word to his people. That means that when we read the Bible, we are hearing God speak. Today's Bible reading is from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. We are reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Please follow along in your Bibles and the passage will also be displayed on the screen. In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live when they observe your pure, reverent lives. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewellery or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner, showing them honour as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Loving Father, we ask that you might speak through this stammering tongue. Work through these feeble hands and strengthen weak hearts. By your word we pray. Amen. You know, we begin with a fundamental foundational conviction. That God's word is true, it's beautiful and it's good. And that means that however hard it might be to understand, whatever passage we might be in, we can trust it. And you see, this passage is actually a beautiful a tender, a compassionate word, for in it, God Almighty speaks to the vulnerable women of his day. In a world that ignored them, God remembers them. He comes to them and he speaks to them. We've seen, haven't we, in chapter 2 verse 11, uh, Peter has been writing to vulnerable Christians, Christian citizens under an unbelieving government. And Christian slaves are unbelieving masters. And for those two groups of Christians, under that persecution and pressure, it would have been so easy for two temptations, wouldn't it? To fight or to flee. And Peter has been reminding them, no, 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 don't fight back. Don't step back. Stand firm. Stand firm in the grace of God. Stand firm in doing good, whatever the cost might be. Stand firm in honour. Stand firm in love. Stand firm in fear. Chapter 2, verse 17, that anchor passage of this letter. Honour everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Fear God. And in this passage, Peter turns to an even more vulnerable people. He now speaks to the Christian wives of unbelieving husbands. 
You see, friends, let me be clear. These, these women, they've already, they would have already been married to their husbands. But at some point in their marriage, they would have come to faith in the Lord Jesus. Maybe you know people like that. And it's absolutely amazing, isn't it? To see people discover and find new life, freedom and liberty in the Lord Jesus. But if you know people have been in that situation, you'll also know that actually by turning to the Lord Jesus while still being married to an unbeliever can put great pressure on that marriage. Particularly in a time like that, a wife was expected to share her husband's faith. So now suddenly to depart from that, to follow the Lord Jesus, it would have placed her in such a vulnerable position in that marriage. It's, it's tragic. In many ways, the, the Christian wife of an unbelieving husband, she would have had so many reasons to be afraid. But isn't it beautiful that in this passage, God sees her. He comes to her and he speaks to her. The woman who is invisible to the world is seen by God. And can I say, if this situation describes your life, a Christian woman married to an unbelieving husband, God sees you. And today he's speaking to you. And if you're not in that situation, this passage is also still for us. For here we see God's heart for vulnerable women. And his heart for us as well. I want us to see three things in this passage that God is saying to the Christian wives of unbelieving husbands. Three truths today that he is speaking to them. Firstly, the way you live can win your husband to God. The way you live can win your husband to God. I, I can't personally imagine it, but, but just imagine being one of these Christian wives. You love your husband. And surely, of all things, you want him to experience what you've experienced. More than anything else, your greatest desire would be for your husband to be saved. That's what you're praying for, and it would be what you're pleading for. You'd be speaking the gospel to him. You'd be urging him to repent, pleading with him to turn to Jesus. But let me ask, what if after all of that, your husband remains unpersuaded. What if after all of those efforts, he still refuses to heed the gospel? You see, friends, that is the situation that Peter's addressing. Well, when he writes in verse 1 that some husbands disobey the word, he's saying that they're unpersuaded of the gospel. They're not a believer. Or, if they identify as a Christian, their life bears no evidence of it. So if you're the Christian wife, but of a man who doesn't heed the gospel, how am I going to live in that mixed marriage? How should I try and seek to bring my husband to faith in the Lord Jesus? What should this look like now? Friends, I want you to picture a ballroom. A man comes and he offers his hand to a woman and she places her hand in his. He, he leads her onto the dance floor and she allows herself to be led by that man. Silence then descends on the ballroom and then they dance. The man takes the lead. He gives direction. He provides the strength. And the woman in that dance, she follows his lead, trusts his direction and, and leans on his strength. 
And as they each play their parts in this dance, those two bodies become one in this single, seamless movement of beauty. And then the climax comes. She runs to the man and he lifts her high for everyone to see. And in that moment, he sacrifices his limelight, as it were. He uses his strength to lift her up in beauty. And she follows his lead. She fully trusts that he will use his strength for her good. See, friends, that's an imperfect picture of the order that God has created within marriage. The husband leading, but in sacrifice. And the wife submitting in faith. Well, we see it in Genesis 2. God calls Adam to work the ground and he creates Eve to help him as his necessary and indispensable ally. And we see it in the New Testament in Ephesians 5, where Jesus and the church model a husband leading in sacrifice and a wife submitting in faith. Right throughout the Bible, we witness this beautiful dance of sacrifice and submission, the husband and the wife yielding to one another, but in distinctly different ways. The husband through sacrificial leadership and the wife through faithful submission. So so when Peter calls these wives in verse 1 to submit to their unbelieving husbands, all he's saying is, play your part in this marriage. Honour your husband, respect his responsibility. Don't try to seize his role, don't try to take his place. Let's remember, submission isn't subjugation. Submission doesn't mean crushing your will under his desires. Submission is not about who gets to make decisions. It is not about who gets the casting vote. And submission definitely does not mean tolerating any form of abuse at all. No, submission means honoring your husband as the one who takes the lead, gives direction, and provides strength. Peter's asking these wives to follow his lead, trust his direction, lean on his strength. You know, earlier this week I was speaking uh, to a Christian wife I know, and this is what she said to me. She said, I'm so thankful for my husband's leadership, because I trust that he has our family's best interests at heart. I trust that he loves the Lord before he loves me. And that actually helps me to honor and submit to him. They're hard words, but when you think about it, it's a beautiful vision of marriage. A husband and a wife, each playing their different parts in this one dance, complementing each other and yielding to each other. So Peter's saying, honor your husband as the one who takes the lead. And here's the hard part, even if he's not a believer. You know, the truth is, I can't begin to imagine how hard that would be. I mean, surely, right, if you love your husband, you'd actually want to fight in the best of ways, right, to keep speaking the gospel, to keep inviting him to church, to keep pleading with him to repent and turn to the Lord Jesus. But Peter says, no, you've done that. He's unpersuaded. To keep on doing so would only divide the marriage further. It would be to seize his role, to seek to take the lead, to disrupt the dance, as it were. No, though everything in you might want to do that, resist that temptation. Play your part, respect his lead. And if you do, here's what's amazing, right? Look at what Peter says. He may be won over without a word 
when he observes your pure and reverent life. Notice the first beautiful irony. The first beautiful irony. Your husband, he might disobey the word, but you can actually win him to God without a word. You can win him over by the way you live. That phrase, the way you live, it points back to chapter 2, verse 12, where Peter calls all of us, both men and women, to conduct yourselves honorably. He's saying, you can win your husband to God by standing firm in doing good. I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to think that unless I'm speaking the gospel, I'm not leading anyone to Christ. I'm not doing anything evangelistic, as it were. And it's true. Faith comes from hearing. But if we stand firm in doing good, believe it or not, we can actually open people's ears. Our lives can be a powerful and compelling witness that helps people see the gospel as well as hear it. I can imagine, though, that as these Christian wives seek to submit to their unbelieving husbands, it just feels so passive. It'd feel like you're not doing anything when everything in you just wants to do something. But Peter says, don't worry. God is actively at work in your submission. You see, as you submit, it might feel like you're not doing anything, but you're actually opening blind eyes and deaf ears. You're showing that Jesus makes us better husband and wives, sons and daughters, friends and family. You're showing that Jesus makes us more honorable, more loving and more beautiful. You're showing that Jesus makes us good. But you see, in all of that, here's the second great irony. The way that she lives might not actually always please her husband. The way that she lives might not actually always please her husband. Because submission doesn't mean unquestioning obedience. Let me say that again. Submission does not mean unquestioning obedience. You see that word in verse 2, reverence. It's the same word as fear. Peter's not saying live in fear of your husband. No, we might actually say your unbelieving husband can be won over without a word when they observe how you fear God, not him. It's just like chapter 2, verse 17. Yes, honor everyone. But what's the more important command? Fear God. Fear God. So notwithstanding his call to submit, he's saying actually, there's going to be times when as a Christian wife, you cannot follow your husband's lead. If he's against you following the Lord, reading his word, gathering with his people, you cannot obey. For our primary allegiance is to God, not man. Not even to our own husbands. No, we must stand firm in doing good. Doing good by God. By His standards. Whatever the cost may be. And there's the third irony. You see, if you take those first two ironies and you put them together, we realize that actually when you fear God over your husband... When you insist on following God's lead over His, when you seek to please Him, and even if it means displeasing your husband, you might actually end up saving your husband. Because you'll show him that he has your honor, but only God has your heart. 
You're pointing him to the shepherd of your soul. You're urging him to return to the shepherd of his. The way you live can actually win your husband to God. Secondly, honor your husband, but fear God. It's what we just saw before. Honor your husband, but fear God. You see, as we've said, if there's anyone who has a reason to fear, it's these Christian wives. In that patriarchal world, they would have had no power, no rights, no mercy, no voice. In fact, they live entirely at their husband's mercy. And now that their primary allegiance has shifted away from their husband and now to Jesus, you can imagine their husbands may very well be upset or displeased with them. In many ways, these wives have every reason to fear, to feel that pressure to please their husbands, to live up to the expectations in all the wrong ways. And I suspect that's something of what's happening in verses 3 and 4. You see, the Christian wife, in many ways, she would have already upset and displeased her husband by turning to the Lord Jesus, as she should. And now the great temptation is to seek to win her husband back, as it were, or to seek to win her husband's approval, but by her outward beauty. And Peter says, don't do it. Don't tr- it just won't work. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes. Now, he's not saying that she can't dress up or look presentable. That's not the point here. What he's talking about is an excessive focus on the externals. He's saying, don't try to win your husband by how you look. Because none of it lasts. All of it fades. But do you know what doesn't? Do you know what doesn't fade and what will never perish? Verse 4, what's inside the heart? The imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. Now let's be clear what that means. A quiet spirit does not mean a silent spirit or a voiceless spirit. No, it means a humble spirit that willingly, as we've seen, submits and trusts her husband to take the lead, give direction and provide strength. Just like our inheritance in chapter 1, this wife's humble submission is the good work that will last forever. Can you see what Peter's saying? Don't win your husband by the gold you wear, but by the good you commit yourself to doing. Don't focus on the externals. Focus on what is inside the heart. Or I just love what the original language says. It says literally, focus on the hidden person of the heart. Isn't that beautiful? The hidden person of the heart. I just love what Peter says there. He's saying that your husband might see you on the outside, but he doesn't see you on the inside. The hidden you, the real you, the true you. Beneath that exterior that might be tempted to win him through outward beauty is a woman who is chosen by God. A woman who is a daughter of God. A woman who is holy like God. A woman who is honored by God. If you want to know who you really are, that's who you really are. The hidden self of the heart. The real you. You see, unlike our aging bodies, the true you, she'll never perish. And she will never fade. Your true beauty, Peter says, is of great worth in God's sight. She's of great worth in God's sight. 
You know, last week I was speaking to a Christian uh, woman who had been in a situation very similar to this. And she told me that in her marriage, she felt a constant fear of not living up to her husband's standards. A fear of not being seen by him as good enough. And Peter says, what truly matters is not how your husband sees you. What truly matters is who you are in God's sight. It's all about your beauty through his eyes, not your husband. And can you see the real freedom in that? When we understand that only God's approval truly counts, only God's sight truly matters, we don't have to be afraid anymore. We don't have to fear how our husband sees us, because we know how God sees us. Peter says, don't try to win your husband's approval by how you look on the outside. No, win him by showing him the true you. The hidden you, the real you. Show him your true beauty in God's sight. That's the beauty of true submission. You see, if you were one of the Christian wives reading this for the first time, you would have just read the end of chapter 2 where Peter quotes Isaiah 53. And your mind would go back to the rest of that prophecy where Isaiah wrote about the suffering servant. I wonder if you remember those classic words. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him. No appearance that we should desire him. Do you see, friends, the Lord Jesus wasn't anything beautiful to look at on the outside. But he himself bore our sicknesses. And he carried our pains. You see, just like Peter is calling these Christian wives to do, our Lord Jesus humbly submitted. But I want you to see what he won through his submission. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. Can you see what Peter is saying? Jesus' submission leads to our salvation. Jesus' submission leads to our salvation. And Peter's calling these Christian wives, be like Christ. Be like the Lord Jesus. Don't focus on your external beauty. No, live out your inward beauty through your humble submission and trust in the Lord Jesus. Just like Jesus' submission led to our salvation, who knows? Maybe yours might lead to your husband's salvation. You see, if you're not a Christian, you might think that Christianity doesn't look like all that much on the outside. And I want to let you know that's not a defect. It's a design. Jesus' true beauty is that he willingly submitted himself to death so that he might save you and me from judgment. And he now calls all of us, men and women, to submit to him, to follow his lead, to lean on his strength. He promises to save us not through strength, but through his own submission. And so Jesus is actually the ultimate example of everything Peter is calling these Christian wives to do. Who knows? Maybe our submission might lead to the salvation of many. But can you see that uh, the Lord Jesus is not the only example? 
In verses 5 to 6, back in 1 Peter 3, uh, Peter points back to the Bible's legacy of gospel women as an inspiration for us today. Isn't that wonderful? That the Scriptures would lift up the holy women of the Bible and say, be like them. And he shows us that a holy woman honors her husband, but she hopes in God. She honors her husband, but she hopes in God. She submits to her husband, but God, in fact, is the only one she lives for. The, the holy woman is like Sarah, who in verse 6 submitted by obeying Abraham and calling him Lord. Now, I know a lot of us cringe when we see that word obey. But I want us to see what it really means in its context. You see, back in Genesis 18, Sarah, she overhears God promise Abraham that she, Sarah, will bear a son. And she laughs in disbelief. But this is what she asks, and this is what Peter gets this from in 1 Peter. She, this is what she says in Genesis 18. After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I have delight? You see, the word Lord is simply a respectful way of, of calling Abraham her husband. Throughout Genesis, Sarah is called Abraham's wife. That's not to take away from her personal identity or her agency. It's to recognize that in this marriage, Abraham is her husband. And she is his wife. That's simply just how they would acknowledge each other. Obedience doesn't simply mean following his orders. No, it means heeding his words, honoring his lead, recognizing his duty to care for her. Submission means to honor and to receive her husband's call to lead his wife in love. And the end of verse 6 tells us that if we know who we truly are in God's sight, we will be free of fear. We'll be free to submit. You see, even if our husband doesn't acknowledge us as we want, we can still honor him. But we don't have to fear him. We don't have to be afraid. We can still stand firm in doing good. We can still submit to him in trust in the Lord Jesus, not because of him, but because of our Lord. You see, friends, submission is not a sign of weakness. Christian women are strong women, fearless women, women who put their hope not in man's approval, not in even in their husband's approval. They are strong, godly, fearless women who put their trust in God's approval and how He sees them. Christian women are confident of who they truly are in God's sight. And Christian women are freed to honor their husbands, not because of their husbands, but because they fear the Lord. Thirdly and finally, you are precious and protected by God. You are precious and protected by God. You see, friends, in a, in a patriarchal world like this, it's remarkable now that Peter would even address Christian husbands and lay on them now the responsibility to care for their wives. For he doesn't just simply ask wives to submit in faith. He now calls husbands to be considerate of their wives. Verse 7, live with your wives in an understanding way. Be conscious of their position in this marriage. Be sensitive to their submission. Don't take advantage of it. No, protect them in their vulnerability. It's tragic, you know, that not just then, but even now, our world hasn't changed too much. 
women, though not exclusively, are still far more socially and physically vulnerable than men. And again, though not exclusively, women are far more likely to experience abuse at the hands of an intimate partner. That's what Peter means when he calls the wife a weaker partner. He's not saying she's less valuable. He's saying she's more vulnerable. And I think in our society, we see that, don't we? And we want to fight against that, and rightly so. So verse 7, in many ways, is actually an expression of God's care. He sees our vulnerability and He longs to protect us. You see, if you're like one of these Christian wives, God knows exactly how you feel. And He's calling your husband to protect you, to cherish you, to honor you, just as He calls all of us to honor everyone. Can you see, He's saying, as a Christian wife, you are not inferior to your husband. You're not inferior to any man. No, right from Genesis 1, God created you in His image of the same stuff and substance as a man. And before God, in Colossians, we read that both men and women stand equal before our Lord Jesus at the foot of the cross. But here in 1 Peter, Peter amps it up even more. He says that godly women, Christian women, are co-heirs of the grace of life. You see, in many cultures, even today, only a son can be an heir. Only a son can receive an inheritance. But not in the kingdom of God. Not in the household of God. For Peter shows us just how much God values his daughters. He says that Christian women are equal partners in God's grace. You have an equal share in our future salvation. You know, it's very possible that these Christian wives at that time, they were possibly being belittled, ignored, or neglected by their husbands. But can you see what Peter's actually saying to them? It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what they think. It matters what God says. It matters what He thinks. It matters how He sees you, for that is the true you. And who are you? You are a co-heir of grace. You are a beloved daughter of God. You are precious and chosen by God. Your husband might not value you, but I value you. Your husband might not cherish you, but I cherish you. Your husband might not love you, but I love you. And he's saying he cares so much for these women that if their husbands fail to honor them, Peter gives a warning. He says to these Christian husbands, your prayers will be hindered. He, he treats this so seriously that if a Christian husband does not honor his wife, God says, I will not hear you. I will not entertain you. I, I will not receive you. I will not accept you. Can you say to every Christian wife, God through Peter writes, no, you are precious and protected by me. How you live can win your husband to God. So honor your husband, but fear God. And know that you are precious and protected by Him. Friends, can I close this sermon with a word to five groups of people here to us today? Five groups of people here to us today. Firstly, if you are in this situation, the Christian wife of an unbelieving husband, 
God sees you. And God honors you. So fear him. Live in light of who you truly are. Live in light of who God says you are. Live in light of how God sees you. Live as the hidden self of the heart. A holy, humble, and chosen, precious daughter of God. And when you do, you'll be free. Free to live as you ought, free to do good, free to submit to your husband, free to uphold your marriage, because you know that it's God's approval, not your husband's, that truly counts. And who knows? God might even use your humble submission to bring about his salvation. Wouldn't that be remarkable? Secondly, if you are the child of unbelieving parents, This passage is not directly about you, quite obviously. But, just as Peter calls these Christian wives to honour their husbands, he actually does call you to honour your parents, even if they aren't believers. But, don't be afraid of losing their approval. And don't seek to win them with outward things. It might not be your beauty or how you look, but it might be your studies, your your success or your stability. No, just like Peter calls his Christian wives, he's calling you, show your parents who you really are. Show them who you truly are. Show them the hidden person of your heart. And when you do, who knows? Maybe God might use your fear of him to even bring about their salvation. Thirdly, thirdly, If you are a Christian dating a non-Christian, the Christian wives in this passage, they were already married before they came to faith. And that conversion brought about this tension. But they didn't go looking for the tension, as it were. So can I gently ask, why would you? Why would you enter into a marriage with such great division between your husband and wife? There's a reason why God calls us to marry another believer, because we share the one heart for the one God. Can I say this as gently as possible? It's just not worth it for either of you. Don't just do this to yourself. Don't do this to them. Fourthly, if you're not a Christian, Christianity cops a lot of flack, doesn't it, for being regressive, oppressive, even anti-women. But I want you to see, can you see God's heart for women in this passage, especially vulnerable women? He offers them a hope that no earthly marriage could ever give. He sees them where the world wouldn't. He approves of them even where a husband wouldn't. And the hope that he offers them is the very hope that he offers you and me as well. Will you trust him? Finally and fifthly, if you belong to our church as a Christian and you call Cross and Crown home. You know, the truth is churches can be pretty difficult places for women like this. In fact, churches can be pretty brutal places for anyone with vulnerability, right? Um, I was talking to my mum about this and, and she said she, one of her friends went to another church and she went without her husband. And no one said anything, but she just felt silently judged by a lot of the married people around her. And wasn't their intention. 
But the reality is, if our church life is intended to be respectable, respectable Christianity, I, I, I would resign. Like that, there's just nothing worse than that. Respectable Christianity, where you have to hide your sin, hide your brokenness, hide your weakness, hide your vulnerability. Just tragic. It's terrible. Sometimes we don't like people with weakness or vulnerability coming to church because it makes us feel uncomfortable. We want our church life to project back to us the kind of comfortable white picket fence life we want to live. Life isn't like that. Gosh, 1 Peter shows Christian life isn't like that. Don't do that to each other. We need to be a church that embraces the vulnerable. We need to be a church that sees the hidden person of the heart in each and every one of us here. We need to be a church that doesn't idolize that false veneer of respectable Christian marriage at the exclusion of others. We need to be a church that helps Christian wives, just like these women, put their hope in God. You see, friends, whatever our situation, God is calling us to stand firm in doing good. Not because of our husbands, not because of our wives, not because of our parents, or not because of the world around us. No, to stand firm in doing good because of God, because of how He sees you, because of His approval, because of His honor, because of who you truly are in His sight. A holy, precious, chosen, honored person of God. May we honor everyone. But above all, may we fear our God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we feel so weak. The, the truth is, the harder thing about this passage is not what it says. The harder thing is, God, is that our lives so often are like what we find here. Unideal, mixed, broken. And we feel so helpless. But you give us your son. You give us your spirit. You give us your word. And you remind us that whatever the world might tell us about who we are, however the world might treat us, you see us for who we truly are. And you call us to live in light of that. So as we now sing in response, as we now share in this supper, strengthen our faith, remind us of who we truly are as precious sons and daughters of God Most High. And we pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.